Heads up, there's cussing in this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pub Hound Podcast. I'm Drew and Rich is here with me. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Rich. Uh, we also have our guest tonight, Cody White. Hello, America. <laughs> <laughs> what about Tunisia? Hello, Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> but your shirt says Ireland. <laughs> yeah, okay, we can go through all of them. We can go all like. night. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, let me Google this. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Cody, you may remember, was our guest once before, but tonight we're going to... On our to, very uh, first episode. That's right. We're going to turn the tables a little bit, and instead of instead of Rich and I interviewing Cody, Cody is going to interview Rich and I. So we honestly don't know what's coming for us, but... Uh, we know a little yeah. bit of what's coming Be scared. For us. <laughs> I'm quaking. <laughs> uh, it's going to be fun, though, I think. So, I think. <laughs> that is a vote of confidence if that's, I ever heard one. That's what the fortune cookie said. <laughs> fortune cookie. It's going to be fun, I think. <laughs> uh, all right. So, anyway, Rich, what you been up to? <clears throat> as little as possible. No, that's not true. You've been doing something. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. We're still, still, it is coming. People, uh, we're still putting the finishing touches up on Jules' book. That is still a thing, and it is going to happen. Um, I'm just slow, really slow. I'll... It really is the finishing touches. Yeah, it is the finishing it. touches, though. It is um, a portion of it is in the hands of uh, Lisa Brown, the wonderful Shout Lisa Brown. Lisa. Yeah, who does our copy editing. So a portion of it is in her hands, um, and then. Uh, we're just waiting a little bit until she gets done with that, and then we'll give her the last portion, and then we should be good to go. Um, I think uh, Aaron is working on the uh, graphic design again. Always does yep. a great job. Thank you, Aaron. Um, so, yeah, we are. It is a thing, and it is coming. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> um, and then I've just been, you know, writing, reading that old song and dance. Anything, anything good? Uh yeah oh yeah though I'm gonna I'm gonna save a portion of it for my um my last call tonight okay um, but I've also I uh, picked up um the collect or uh, collection of uh, short stories by Robert Aikman he was a British um, horror writer okay um yeah I actually freaked myself out the last time I was here um I came in to do a little writing at the office here at the office I freaked myself was out was it dark and it well it was on me um, <laughs> I, I was I was actually going to meet Cody later that evening and um and I was reading um well I, I came in to write got to a point where it's like I got to stop I'm just frustrating myself I'm going to write myself into a corner so I did I was like oh I have some time to read one short story um the thing with Robert Aikman like he doesn't um, and he makes a point of doing this. Like he doesn't explain the things that are going on, which you know really ruins horror. Um, and I know that's often the part, the point of horror for a lot of people is we give a body to our fears, and that lets us get through it. And he's like, no, I'm just going. I'm not going to explain these things. And more often than not, what he does is he just turns reality just a little bit by gradual inches, and he doesn't explain what's going on. And then, you know, by the end of it, everything is incredibly strange and absurd. But he, he just gradually turns it. Didn't you um, have something happen to you one time where it was like, you felt like the world moved like three inches to the left or something? Yes, that, that 
it was weird. I think I had a, I, I don't know what it was. I'm fine though. <laughs> I didn't fall over. Nothing hemorrhaged. Um, anyway, Robert Aikman. Does it seem like a Robert Aikman kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, it does seem like a Robert Aikman thing. Um, fuck, man. <laughs> Back to the original story. Um, so I was, I was reading the short story and it was doing that where he was, you know, kind of tweaking things and I got to the end of it and I wasn't freaked out while I was reading it. I got to the end of it and this was after five o'clock, everybody was gone. Um, and I thought, Hey, I still have maybe about 20 minutes, you know, to give Cody plenty of time to get home. Um, I still got enough time. I can, I'm going to go use the restroom. I will come back. I will maybe start another story or maybe I'll read a couple poems or something and, you know, then head to Cody's. Um, so as I was walking to the restroom, you know, it's completely abandoned up here. In our office, like it's a little bit of a maze to get to our office up here in yeah, Empire. A little bit. And as I was walking down the hallway, you know, I knew I'd get to this end and I would need to take a left to go to the restroom. And I was like, well, what if what if I get to the end of the hallway and it turns to the right instead of the left? And that's the sort of thing that he does. You know, it's just like something is, you'll notice something that you had never noticed before. Something will be completely different, but he does it in very gradual turns. And and so I, I legitimately freaked myself out. So I went and I used the restroom and I was, I, you know, everything was fine. Everything came out okay. Uh, <laughs> everything was fine. Nothing was changing. Reality wasn't folding in on itself. But still, even as I was coming back to the office, I was still expecting to notice some small detail I had never noticed before and was sure was not there. And so, um, so I just packed up my shit and left. <laughs> and I was pretty happy when I got out of the parking lot and saw my car and there was another car out there so there was somebody else at least around the building and the sun was still setting in the west yeah the sun was still in the west it was <laughs> reality had not completely collapsed are so, you sure you would know if it had i mean maybe maybe your brain changed along with it well if that's the case then i'm fine because i'm not going to go mad right um because even if it's yeah if you don't notice you that don't. the world is changing on you then you're still going to go about life as it is. Yeah. So I'm yeah. okay with that. I'll, I'll take that. Or whatever in this existence yeah. other than life. Yeah. Maybe. It yeah. seemed a little different to me. Last time uh, I saw you, I believe you were LeBron, LeBron James. Is that? No, that just happens sometimes. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> you just grow eight inches. <laughs> yeah. And a big beard. And, and can dunk and yeah become like greatest basketball player ever lived it's great status yeah (laughs) um i mean it's it's a little bit of a two-edged sword because then i go back to being like this chunky white idiot who can't grow a beard um and that hurts a little bit yeah that's definitely coming down off of the lebron james high really hurts i had that problem too but i can kind of grow a beard so small amount of consolation in that Uh, thanks native american jeans (laughs) okay that was that was good. That's no. great. Yeah. What have you been up to? I've had some some busy work times. Got some new irons in the fire, and so I haven't had a lot of time to really sit down and read. But I've been doing a lot of audiobooks because I've been in the car a lot. Yeah. So that's really rewarding. Um, since the last podcast we recorded, I have uh, I did on the recommendation of one of our guests. I listened to the first of the Sherlock Holmes books, *The Study in Scarlet*. Oh, nice! Which was was really fun. <clears throat> yeah, and um, and I may wind up doing more of those in the future. And um, <clears throat> I did uh, *The Prince* by Machiavelli, which was also really fun. And uh, a little bit, 
uh, less engaging because I mean some of the names are just like trying. Wait, okay, so what? Which of these? Uh, uh, oh yeah, no, I have the Francesco's hardest. My, I have the hardest time reading, um, you know, books that are, um, you know, at least for languages with which I'm not familiar, especially because I have such a hard time keeping track of their names. I yeah was reading some short stories by um and it's such like a, a textbook style if you if you haven't read it before it is very like this is the thing that happened and this is why it happened and this is the person who did it so here's a lesson you can learn it's it's like it's very much like a textbook yeah but it was interesting nonetheless and uh i think i got a couple of of valuable uh you know valuable pieces of wisdom out of it too Ways you can manipulate people. Yeah, I was, exactly. was going to say, yeah, like, well, do we need to like just keep no, our eye out for I mean, Drew's as machinations? A, as a uh, <laughs> as a as a business person, um, it's. I mean, it's not. It's not like Machiavelli was was not a a devil figure. You know, he's 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 uh, vilified a lot, but he really wasn't a bad guy. He was just trying to operate in this world that was very cutthroat, and uh, you know. That you uh, you couldn't get by if you were gonna be soft and forgiving of people. So, um, so yeah, I mean that's it. kind of like sorry, folks. This is just the way it is. This is the way it is. Yeah, exactly. So, did you ever read the Art of War? I think that's another one. That yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, and that that one's different in that it's it's like it's like the Doomsday Prepper version of Machiavelli. Whoa. <laughs> it's it, it it is it's it's really it's like uh, you know make sure your horses are fed and you have extra supplies and uh, you know attack when they're weak and you're strong and if you're weak then pretend that you're strong and it's like okay yeah I and mean, it, it's kind it's a lot of the same stuff but uh, just a little bit different approach where Machiavelli's got this more kind of a diplomatic you know uh, chest thumping, uh, shield rattling sort of thing. Sun Tzu is more of a, uh, you know, silent but strong kind of store up your supplies and strike when you're ready, not when they're ready kind of idea. But they're, they're both good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you have, if you haven't read them, then I would, I would recommend it. Sun, the, the art of war especially is short and easy. Well, I think I've read the Wikipedia articles on both. Well, then you probably know enough. <laughs> then everything else is just names that are going to confuse you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wikipedia is totally trustworthy. Like, goat men don't just randomly show up at all. <laughs> goat men like LeBron James. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen a goat man, Richard? I did. He was wielding a chainsaw. And screaming the lyrics to, but that was the same oh, God, day. I know I ran out of steam. That was the same day everything moved to the left. So. It is, it is, it is the, that was that day. But everything was fine. Everything was fine. I don't know if it ever moved back to the right, but it didn't seem to matter. So it's good. Yeah, is it like the Go Man popped out and then everything like quickly shifted over to like cover him back up? I think so. That was exactly what happened. Yeah. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah, so audiobooks have been good to me. Um, I've done a little bit of writing, but but not a lot. Um, it's, you know, just 
been in that kind of business frame of mind. Yeah. The Machiavelli frame of mind where... <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, y'all are in trouble. Nervous laughter. <laughs> uh, well... Should, let's include Cody in yeah, this conversation. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? I don't know. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, see, I've been, I have been reading something lately. I, I finished up a book by Richard Russo called The Risk Pool, and that was really good. Um, that sounds like it was written by an actuary. <laughs> um, well, I'm not sure the Russo was, but it does come up a little bit. Okay. Um, actually, that was one of the things I didn't like about the novel. The, the phrase, the risk pool, kept like popping up over and over, and every time it did, it kind of like uh, took me out of the novel. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, it was about a, a, a guy, well, it starts out he's a kid growing up in the uh, 1950s, and in this little town, and I guess, I haven't read any other Russo books, but I guess he's well known for writing about little towns, and uh, it was about his uh, childhood, and he had, you know, these two parents who were sort of, uh, sort of sorry excuses for parents, to be honest, and then he grows up and comes back to the town, and blah, 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 uh, but he's a, he's a really great writer, and I think, um, I think he's one of these people that's won, like, you know, like the Pulitzer and Nobel and Best Picture or something. Powerball, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he won the Powerball? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he's not just good, he's freaking lucky too. Yeah, he's... <laughs> uh, but it was a really good book. He's uh, certainly has a, a way with... Uh, he's one of these writers who uh, says a whole lot without really, like, saying it on the page um and then he'll kind of uh uh in fact a lot of times he doesn't even say what happens he'll just like some huge plot point 30 pages later he'll just like kind of mention something that lets you know that it did happen and you just kind of fill in all the blanks afterwards hmm. but nice. yeah nice. that's uh that's what i've been doing i seems like uh oh i think i'm reading a book about the anasazi now oh. that's good which apparently i didn't realize this but uh, Anasazi is considered to be uh, like an impolite term uh, among Native Americans, but the author's like there really isn't anything else to call them, so <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, That's uh, so not your not group, right? No, no. <clears throat> I'm a Hopi. But Anasazi was kind of in that southwestern group, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. So I, I apologize if there's anyone out there who's a descendant of the Pueblo people and <laughs> so forth. I just don't know any better. That's okay. I, I can't remember which tribe it was, but there is a tribe that, like, their word for the Hopi is their word for excrement. So <laughs> I'm okay. You can assault all of them. Cool. I just flushed a Hopi. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. Yeah. They also call us the smallpox people. Oh, it's great too. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah. I need to fill up my drink too. Okay, so I guess it's time to uh, break for drinks and I'm going to take a leak. So, this is a natural time to Where I come from that means you're going to steal a mirror. Oh. Breakfast of Champions? Anyone? No. 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 <laughs> I read that one. Okay. Yet. Okay. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> 
Breakfast of Champions. Huh? Yeah. This episode of the Pup Hound Podcast is brought to you by Modest Hops. Hops grown in the Midwest from Midwestern brewers. Find out more at modesthops.com. Modest Hops, Missouri grown. Welcome back to the Pub Hound Podcast. I'm Drew with Rich and Cody. Woo! And I forgot to mention... Woo, Cody. Woo, Cody. Cody. Yeah, woo. Uh, I forgot to mention our sponsor in the first round there. It's Modest Hops, Missouri Grown, and uh, Piney River. Just gonna throw, just gonna throw it. We're in just there gonna throw it out there just because uh, we're drinking some piney. That's River. what we're drinking tonight. Is Missouri piney River. Mule, and it's full of hops, and uh, we enjoy mm. it. So yeah. Uh, so we're moving on to our interview session here, and this is where I get to tell Cody, take the reins, my friend. All right. Um, I was kind of curious about like the first poem that uh, you fellas remember writing, or like the first one that. Maybe like you wrote and you were like, "Holy cow, this is this is something." Like I, I like the feel of this. Uh, I remember the first one that I. Well, the first one I remember writing was was uh, was kind of about this little tit for tat, click, conflict that was happening in like the middle school <laughs> that I was going to. <laughs> Wow, your first poem was written in middle school. Yeah, I wrote a poem about it. Like, there was a couple of different, you know, pushing fights in the hallway, and it was these two different groups that uh, I was, you know, sort of involved with. and West Side Story kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah I guess it kind of <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, have an, I have this image of, like, Drew, and I, I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure the friends of yours that I've met, probably you guys may not have been friends in middle school because... Most of my friends, I don't remember back then, but I now have like most, an image of like that. you and Jinx and Aaron <laughs> and Dave, like with like these tight white t-shirts rolled up with cigarettes, <laughs> and I'm like there walking down the no hall cigarettes. snapping. <laughs> that's yeah, that's kind of getting that image out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> that's not exactly how it was, <laughs> but damn. But a couple of those guys I was friends with back then, so they could have been involved. I guess you don't remember any lines from this or anything. No, I, I don't, but I remember I wrote it in, in, in rhyme and meter. Well, my meter was probably not so good, but it definitely was rhyming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was kind of, it was just more fun than anything, you know, like, it was a, it was a series of events that felt like they needed documenting. So and I, of course you document them in verse. Yeah, Good on you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you show it to anyone? You know, I don't think I ever did. Uh, it was it was you know the 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 Iliad of the Diamond Middle School. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope this poem exists somewhere. It'll be many it's centuries somehow. before it gets translated into <laughs> grown up English. Somehow we could get our hands on it. Like I need. Did you write it on a scroll, perhaps? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Probably in like a three-ring binder, (laughs) like a trapper keeper. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. How about you, Rich? I mean, I wrote poetry um, as early as high school, maybe middle school. I don't recall. 
it was all trash. Um, like, especially high school. Like, I really liked Kerouac at that point. Oh. So it was pretty bad. I'm sorry, fans of Kerouac. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, so it was it was pretty bad. Um, I remember the first time I wrote something, and even then, like I, I knew that I had a long ways to go. But the first time where I felt like I had talent um, was a couple poems I wrote. Uh, well, we were in college together. Um, I had taken. Um, of course, with uh, Dr. Dworkin, one of our favorite professors back sure. in the day, Joy Dworkin. Hi, Joy! <laughs> You're probably not going to hear this. Um, and uh, I remember reading, um, you know, it was a great course. It was world poetry. Uh, we were reading Baudelaire. I was really struck by Will Crosby's uh, translation of Baudelaire. Will Crosby, a oh, former yeah. Joplinite, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, and Anna Akhmatova, and I absolutely adored her works. Um, and I, I can't remember the titles of them, but I remember I wrote like a couple of poems during that that period. And, um, well, not during the class, but during that semester I wrote a couple poems and I was like oh wow maybe maybe I'll start paying more attention to poetry like uh, up until that point even when I was writing all this dreadful garbage in high school like I had always kind of planned on focusing more on prose and I had planned on becoming like a novelist and that's really what I wanted to do um but then two things like both that class and then also hanging out with you um, and you introducing me to a lot of poets I had never heard of um, was one of the things that kind of got me off on this path. So I guess, fuck you guys. You ruined everything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the name of uh, maybe one of those poems? I, I'm i trying to remember. Um, I don't, I I seem don't to recall. So, something about like there was Sodom one and Gomorrah. Yeah, think. yeah. And that, that's one of them. And it was like snapshot negatives from Sodom and Gomorrah or something like that. It was an obnoxiously long title, which is still one of my biggest problems. He's like, I have such a hard time, like, coming up with titles. And when I do find one that I like, like, it's just obnoxiously long. Um, I have titles that are longer than the poems, which isn't hard to do, considering, like, I write epigrams. But <laughs> it's still... It still means it's a pretty long yeah, title. So. <laughs> so, when you think about these poems, um, I guess I'll ask you first, Drew... Uh, is there a, uh, if you think about the poem you wrote then, and you look at the stuff you're writing now, maybe no one else would see it, but is there like a through line for you? I mean, is, can you see any way like these are kind of daisy chained together? Well, yes, yes. So what I said um, earlier about how it was, there was a series of events that felt like they needed documenting. I would say that's still kind of the way that I approach writing now is like I'll experience something and it feels like it just needs to be written. Now that's not, it's not the same as it was back then, but it's the same kind of feeling. Like it's not so much like, oh, there was a fight, I need to write about this fight, or oh, there was a whatever, X thing, I need to write about this thing. It's nowadays it's more like there was a moment in time where something felt transcendent or ethereal and that feeling needs to be documented but it's still about the moment you mm -hmm. know so so yeah i would say that definitely does yeah carry over so you feel like you're trying to 
hold on to a moment in time. Yeah, well, yeah, a moment that, but it's not just any moment, you know, it's a, it's a moment that's, that somehow feels like it's eternal, I guess. And, and in that way, it needs to be written yeah. or written about. Yeah, I don't really write so much about events anymore. I guess, I mean, I kind of do, but the events are sort of a means to an end. Yeah, yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a, this, it's the same kind of feeling that I had back then. Obviously, very different. And, and I would echo what Richard said, like that, that poem from middle school was definitely trash. Oh, no, it was lovely, and I'm going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find this poem. It would be funny. It would be fun <laughs> to find and, and read now. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think actually... Prob- Andrew Whitehead, this is your life. <laughs> <laughs> if I was, was going to really answer your question, like when, when did I write a poem that I felt like was actually good, like I could actually, you know... I'm okay at this. It was probably like four or five years later. Like, I might have been a year out of high school, probably, or 18 or 19 years old, somewhere in there. Uh, but it was the same kind of thing. It was like I, this something happened, and I had a feeling about it, and it felt really, like, real in a way that is, like, just beyond real. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's the truest of true feelings. And so it made me want to... Right about this actually kind of touches on um, something that Cody had also asked us, or he asked me, and I'm assuming he asked Drew too, for us to come up with some questions that we were going to ask one another. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things I was, I was possibly going to ask was, you know, I'm sure we've had this conversation before, but considering um, most of our conversations have come when I've been blackout drunk, I've probably forgotten. <laughs> but I was most. actually going to ask. Most. A, a, well, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I, I, I was actually going to ask, like, when when did your interest in, like, sort of the literary world sort of begin? And it seems like it was a lot earlier than I was kind of expecting. It was pretty, it was pretty early, yeah. Like, I, I was definitely interested at that age, you know, early teen years. I didn't really put a lot of stock in it. Like, I wanted to do that, but... When I, by the time I got to the end of high school and, and college, I, in the first years of college anyway, I had an eye on, on going that direction with my life, but I didn't, I didn't go that direction in my studies. Like I went very pragmatic thinking, you're smart. This is, the, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that I can do in my spare time. Like I, you went more like actuary tables. Yes, I did. Well, I became an accountant, yeah. and and I, and I thought I, so. I can I can learn a trade. I can learn a skill, and I can you know polish my writing skills kind of on the side and sort of the Wall Stevens route, I guess. Oh. You know, learn how to make money and then figure out how to make money writing. So yeah, I, but I was interested in it going back to definitely junior high. Are you telling me that you guys haven't made millions writing poetry? Oh, <laughs> one of these days we're going to get close to losing millions. <laughs> In publishing poetry, yeah. I think uh, we've, lost, we've lost hundreds at this point. Yeah, this is definitely a labor of love. Um, Only hundreds, I think you're doing pretty good. <laughs> well, it's because Drew became an accountant, so he knows how to keep our overhead as low as possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe dozens of hundreds. <laughs> So, Rich, what about you when you look at your uh, 
those poems you wrote in those early days. Um, uh, well, actually, I mean, we can look to you for that response. Um, I guess uh, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of differences in the way I do things now um, because those early poems were definitely very emotional. They were also very opaque. I gr granted, is I think part of that is because a lot of the poets, more contemporary poets that I was reading at that time, were people like Ashbery, and so I was kind of aping a little bit of that. Um, but I also, at that at that point, I don't think I, I understood that it was okay to really write about things that are more simple and write about them clearly and have it be good poetry. But so there's a, a, a large difference between my work in those regards. Um, but I think one thing that kind of stuck through, even though I was not working a meter and write at that point, like you yourself have mentioned that um, you felt like even in my earlier work, like with uh, those poems, like the the Sodom and Gomorrah one, and mm -hmm. then a later one, um, Wedding Day at Trollhagen, like there was definitely a aspect of something very measured in it. Like I was already, even though I wasn't True. working in meter and rhyme, I was already trying to find form and form was very important to me. I just didn't necessarily have the tools to go about it at that period. Um, and so for me, that's what I, what I see. Um, and something that I probably picked up from reading too much Akhmatova, like I early on, I had a tendency to like, you know, the tail end of my, poems like it, it seems like I should just write nothing but sonnets because I always want to twist things off at the end and that's something that I picked up from reading so much of her um, and it's something that I still often do though in my case like less sonnets but more like epigrams and that's just a hallmark of epigrams where at the end you have that on. that turn at the end of the poem where it's, it's a like nice expression yeah yeah though I'll uh I'll disagree with you about your own work just a little bit here and that I think um I see in the work that you you write today something actually quite personal uh yeah. though uh it's it is different in the sense that um it's not as overtly emotional but like you have a lot of um for example puns mm -hmm. uh and uh i think you kind of embed things in your poetry maybe not even things that like the i i can see because i know you but things that uh, maybe the world wouldn't see yeah uh but things that are just kind of maybe just for you even yeah. Uh, oh, well, and even things that, like, I put a lot of little personal inside jokes, and they're jokes that are so inside that I'm the only person on the inside. Um, <laughs> and I do that a lot. Where, and, it's, I, and I think that's something that I, I used to do in the past, too, where I, I always thought to myself, it's like, you know, it's highly likely nobody's going to get this or nobody's going to pick up on this thing that I'm trying to do. But I see it's there, and that's enough. Um, for me and so I would I do and I do still do that because that's part of the thing that like keeps me going like I like to just stick little even if it's a reference that nobody would get because aside from two or other people then it's like well that's just our little joke that's fine that's okay it's like Bob Ross and I, I don't mm -hmm. I don't I try not to build a poem in that Bob Ross <laughs> you know he, yeah. paint, he paints yeah. the, the happy little tree and, and then he puts another huge tree right on top of it yeah. well it's our little secret yeah you know it's <laughs> it's fine um, and it's you know I, I don't I don't want a poem that to be the thing that carries a poem because then it's going to fail I want a poem to be able to reach other people that's the whole point of writing yeah. um, whole point of communicating but I'm okay with embedding within something that has like a broader 
sort of message, I'm fine putting in little messages to my friends or even sometimes to myself so that when I come back to a poem, poem later, I might find that little joke and it will make me feel better about how poor of a writer I was at that point. <laughs> I was like, well, that was pretty shitty, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, I'll just be honest, poetry is, is often pretty difficult to read. Uh, it has very dense language. Uh, and I don't always, you know, get the poems I'm reading. There's a lot of poems that I love that I have probably, honestly, no clue what they're really about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, yeah. definitely. But, but there is often yeah. a sense that um, you, you'll read something and you're like, there's something going on here, something under the surface that I can't figure out what it is. But somehow, even the fact that you don't get it, the fact that you know that it's there yeah, is like still you can, giving you can life feel to the poem. Yeah. Well, that I think that's... Maybe that transcendent quality that I was talking about, like earlier, the the moment has something about it that just n- means that you just have you just have to write about it because maybe it's an indefinable thing, but it just feels something other than the rest of the world, and you, you're probably not going to capture it. But if you you know if you yeah. write about it, it does something to at least set down that it was there that it happened. Yeah. Now, what about um. <clears throat> Do you try to capture it? Do you try to define it? Is defining it, is that uh, the antithesis of what poetry is? Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, like that, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a kind of a good way to say it. That capturing it is one thing, but defining it is something different. Like capturing is going to leave it open to whomever gets to experience it the next time. They get to have their own experience of it. Yeah. But it's a little bit closer to like Larkin's pleasure, pleasure principle in writing, <clears throat> where you have this, you know, this, like, all poetry is this mechanism that you create to convey an emotional response that you had. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit closer to that, whereas if you define it, you may kill that emotional response. They may not actually have their right. own, because, because you narrow it down so much they will not have their own response to it because you've closed them off from their own experiences. From everything but what you experienced or what yeah. you felt. Another one would be uh, Wordsworth's Be Murder to Dissect. Yeah. Which, I, I guess, like, because my answer to that would be, it's like, well, I mean, it can do either or. I mean, to me, poetry, it's, um, it's just like any other object in the world. It's a tool that has very many, it has many... Well, it's pluripotent. It has many things that it can do. Um, and what it does is what the poet and the reader seems to decide it does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you come, like, again, you're creating this mechanism, and you may have a set purpose for it. And sometimes when you let go of it, it is its own thing. And somebody else experiences that. And they may get a bit of what you put into it. But it may open up things that you didn't even realize you put into it or things that you didn't realize were there. And so it's, you know, a poem, it, it can do either or. Like, it can define or it can capture. It can possibly do both. Um, or it can muddy the waters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just want to pause and say, uh, pluripotent, you're such a vocabularian, Richard. I don't know. I feel like my <laughs> lexicon is lacking. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't know. Well, I, 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 I constantly run across things. I'm like, I have no fucking clue what that means, and i got to look it up. And then I also misuse words all the time. It just it happens. I, I still, whenever I go over old poems, I look at a word, and I'm like, I don't think that means what I thought it meant. And I look it up, and I'm like, 
Fuck no! You gotta rewrite this line! Like Inigo Montoya? Yeah. Bully, <laughs> just me. You keep saying that. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yup! So when you're writing a poem, um, this is something I always wonder about, about poets. Do you begin, like, do you have a kind of a idea in mind of what you're, in quotes, uh, capital letters, going for in this poem? Or is it more like a process of discovery where you have a little kernel and you're kind of unfolding it? Uh, yes. Both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It's kind of like building the airplane in flight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that's horrifying. But yes. Um, that's definitely my experience. Like, I often... That's a good analogy. I even often think I know where I'm going to end up. Like, sometimes I have, and I've been told one shouldn't do this because this isn't, you know how one should write a poem it's going to be a false poem but I often have an idea of my ending before I start it I don't always end up there people though. say you shouldn't do that yeah people have told me you shouldn't people have are like people so stupid well they're stupid <laughs> yeah well, uh, what is it Auden says you know you should never listen to a poet talking about what poetry is because he's only talking about what he thinks po his poetry should be yeah you know and that's, that's really so all true. it comes down to like um, so when yeah I mean I, I will often have like alright I'm going to end on these lines specifically I'm like, this is how it's going to end. doesn't always work that way for me. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I will often go into things it's like, I am going to write about this thing, and then halfway through, I, or if I show it to somebody else mid-process, they'll point out, I think you're really writing about this. And it's like, oh, yeah, all right, we're going to divert <laughs> the stream because it was going in the wrong direction to begin with. And so, you know, it shit happens, man, and you just... You just change. It's like playing backgammon. You know, you have a strategy when you go into it how you want to do it. Yeah. But you're still at the whim of the dice. And so you got to change things on the fly. And that's how my writing process works anyway. So I constantly, like, you know, I, I, I'll set out and say this is going to be a sonnet. And it'll feel like a sonnet most of the way through. And then later it's like, no, this needs to be shorter. It needs to be longer. I'm going to change it. Or I'll be working in a certain rhyme scheme realize it's not working and I'll like have to flip it mid back and sometimes that's a huge pain in the ass because then I have to go back and rework the previous rhymes yeah and then often have to rework the entire line but if I get a good poem out of it then it was worth all that effort well you write a lot in forms to what extent do you feel like uh, the form you're writing in like imposes a logic into what you're writing oh it definitely I feel like it does um, you know, you can mess around with the forum and change things, but they do still kind of have their own sort of feel. But again, you can also abandon that form halfway through and write something else. So it does and it doesn't. Um, and one of the things I like to do if I'm working in a forum is try to think of, you know, how it's shaping what I'm working and try to play off of that. Maybe try to put something in to subvert that. But again... Sometimes I just say this isn't working and I try a different tack. And I would guess that the working in forms makes it even more of a tactician sort of thing. Like, like you know, the difference, strategy versus tactician. Like, strategy is the long-term play and tactician is reacting to what happens in front of you. Tactics are, <clears throat> I think... I would. I, would I say bet you read the Art of War, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> You're on to me. Uh, yeah, 
Well, so, but I would, but I would say like the, you know, I don't, I don't use forms at all, which maybe makes it easier for me to employ a strategy because I, no one is dictating to me what I can do with, like, if I have a pair of lines that I want to end with, you know, no one's telling me that the rhyme scheme isn't going to work with those lines. So I have to alter everything else that I've written to go with them. Well, I mean, but nobody's telling me that either. I can force it, you know, I, I can also just say, no, this isn't the way that it needs to be. Like I, again, like I, uh, I change things up all the time when I'm working in form. Like I do generally want there to be a form just because I find that, I guess there is a little bit of, there's that tension there, right? Like you do want to live up to, um, or not live up to, uh, you, you do want to commit to, you know, the form that you're using, the meter, the rhyme, and that does impose things on you, but it also makes you look at language differently too. Like it, it forces you to sometimes say things in a way that you wouldn't say before. And I, I kind of enjoy that and that's where I, I sort of thrive in it. But again, like if, if what I really want to do, like if there's something that I'm really hanging on and I feel like that's really what needs to be said, like I'll just change the form if I can't do it with, with a, what I'm working in. Like, I'll just say, okay, this isn't working as, you know, like out of arena or whatever. I'll say, this isn't working as this. Let me try something else. And sometimes it'll start out as a minor tweak and I'll just, you know, switch to a slightly different form. Sometimes it'll just be like, I'll just completely redo it. But like, there's still a lot of freedom there. So I don't feel like my hands really ever forced at any moment. Yeah, you still feel that that pressure in the poem. So let me ask you, Drew. Um, so you don't really write in forms, uh, but I bet that you still feel when you're writing. Sometimes you, you write something. You're like, this line <clears throat> is wrong. This line doesn't doesn't feel right. It, it's it's against the flow of the poem or something. Yeah. So even though you don't write in a quote unquote form, there is still some kind of substructure in the poem that is uh, maybe even you maybe even unarticulable. Yes. I would say that's absolutely true. Like I, so I, wouldn't articulate the force, would you? <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can, <laughs> actually. But to say that, like the you know building the airplane as you're flying it is probably the right analogy. Like if I, if I, I mean, I tend to start with some idea, both of where I want to go and of what the contents are going to be. I keep a log of when I have when I have a good like a turn of phrase. Thank you, Rich. You're welcome. That uh, that I really like the sound of, or I like the connotation of, like it just makes sense in some way. Like that could be the starting point for a poem, and whatever the rhythm of that language is, that's probably going to be the form for the rest of the poem. If it's short and choppy, like da-da-da, da-da-da, if that's the phrase, then that's probably going to be what the rest of the poem is. Short lines, choppy language, easy words. Okay. And, but it's, but it's more, it's, it's defined, it's defined by what it is, you know, every, every time. Like it's, it is its own definition. Yeah. It is its own thing. So you have a log you keep track of of these things. As well, of my of my ideas as they come to me, and then and then it's sort of like I'll go back to them and like pull from. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I saw this like interview with Eminem one time where he was talking about how he, he had this like full of this huge box of like all these different rhymes he had. Nice. And he's like he's like really, you know, pisses me off that people say you can't come up with rhymes for the word orange because I got like 40 here. <laughs> we were like orange door hinge and you know? so what I remember is door hinge. That's a good one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, okay, well maybe this is a good time to have you guys read something. Drew, maybe you should read your poem. Uh, which one would you like? Uh, let's go with the one from that actually appears in uh, your book, Muddled. Okay. Oh yeah, we have a book. Yes, they you have a book. Give us your monies, please. <laughs> uh, okay, so available on on Amazon or can be a pubhoundpress.com. Yep, pubhoundpress.com. Which, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you found. Well, not necessarily. Oh, no, I, mean, I guess it is on iTunes. Apple Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Cody's book. Is also is also on, there. on hey. Amazon and PubHoundPress.com. <laughs> you true, maybe, maybe baby. baby. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Well, <clears throat> so I will read from uh, Muddled, my poem called "Armbar Duck Under Headlock," which, if uh, you're not familiar, those are wrestling moves, <laughs> <laughs> and. I wasn't necessarily familiar with either until I wrote this poem and I wanted it to be about wrestling, so <laughs> I had to come up with a few. <laughs> Google's your friend. Yeah. I have, I have friends also. Uh, real, real friends, though, not algorithms that are online, like Google. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Armbar, duck under, headlock. My muse is not a giver. She must be taken by surprise tricked, subdued. She doesn't give in easily. It can take several rounds of drinks, several rounds of hair pulling, arm biting. My muse is a stubborn, capricious mistress, a scornful lover. She's a taker. She gets hers first. I finish in the shower. My muse is Jacob's angel. She leaves me hobbled. I've never known her name. Keep your rain on the window, your park bench, your murky cup of coffee. Keep your tidy, gentle muse. I'll practice my armbar, duck under, headlock. We will struggle until sunrise. She will bless me. I will face the sun alone. Your muse sounds hot. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Why are you so violent, Drew? <laughs> I promise I'm not. <laughs> sure, he has never struck me, and I am not saying that under duress. <laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> All right, Richie, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you can go ahead and read yours and yeah, back to back like that. <laughs> back to back. I I'm assuming this. Yes, yes, the one from Muddle. One okay. also from Muddle. <clears throat> Yeah, this Up is... PubHoundPress.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> so this is, um, here's the rub. Tired of touching and tired of being touched, she stiffens, sighs, and recoils from his touch. Grown bored with her love, he doesn't mind much. A shower will do. He'll wash off his urge. Repetitive force will work out his urge. No partners required. It's only a purge. Repetitive action, rinse and repeat. This time tomorrow, 
they'll rinse and repeat. He'll chance in advance, she'll wince and retreat to lie on the couch and think about rain. She'll lie to herself, she'll think about rain while he rubs one out and stares at the drain. Grown bored with her love, he doesn't mind much when she stiffens, sighs, recoils from his touch. You guys are so dirty. <laughs> You're just filthy. I feel like I need to take a shower after this or something. I, I think with us, there's a nice, there's a there's a nice like counterplay with those two <laughs> poems. Yeah, what what's what's the similarity? Did you, you, did you choose that on purpose? <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I They're actually facing each other in the book. <laughs> are they really? Yeah. <laughs> So, you guys have this um, this thing, this Pubhound Press thing you got? Yeah. Um, you've got a couple books under your belt now. You're uh, slowly sending your filthy tendrils out into the, the moral <laughs> fiber of our region. You're corrupting it from within and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, uh, once, you've like a, once you've achieved your plan of total domination, what is the, uh, the new order going to look like? Well, I mean, we technically we we do kind of have a mission, yeah. But it's really, I mean, it's pretty vague. I mean, we just we just care about the local, yeah, the local uh, writers. writing scene. Well, we care about local number one. Like, we want Joplin to be better than it is, and part of that is establishing a community of people interested in literature and literary things. And so, the more that we can promote the local scene, the the better off things will be. We also, um, we want to look for those people who have sort of fallen through the cracks for whatever reason, be it that they're not pushing themselves enough or that they've gotten frustrated with constantly beating their heads against the wall. Because, I mean, getting published is fucking terrible, man. <laughs> it's hard. And it's hard for everybody. Like, even established writers, you know, get a ton of rejections. It's just the way it goes. But there are people who are incredibly talented who live in this area who have, even though they continue to write, um, have kind of given up on trying to get their work out there. And we want to get them out there. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing to me. Like, there are so many people I know who are excellent writers. They're just like, that I know. You guys and then, like, uh, other people, too. Um, like you and Jules and yeah yeah, yeah. probably other people too I don't know well definitely other people I mean we've <laughs> probably no def- definitely probably. other people we have some people that we have in fact been hounding so you know it's pub hounding yeah. Some of them refuse to meet us in the pubs I don't know what that's about so what are you looking for from people is there any uh, criteria patience yeah, <laughs> patience. patience is a big thing. That's a big word. We're we're pretty slow. Yeah, we are slow. Which a lot of that comes down to just the fact that we are two people. We do have some others who help us out. Uh, Aaron does all of our graphic design. Um, Lisa helps us out with editing, and they are both wonderful. Uh, we've had other people who've helped us out. Kimberly Zirkel. Speaking of local writers who were ridiculously talented. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of them ton of people who have helped us out along the way but um we also foot the bill like drew and i are the ones paying for you know publication um 
so we don't expect our authors to pitch in so yeah it takes us a while to get things out but we're not that sort of vanity press where you pay to get published like we are looking for people who are talented people who put the work in people who are willing to take criticism because that's part of the editorial process and we're nice about it. I mean, I'm probably, actually, probably too, too nice fall. to be an editor. Too full. <laughs> we, we want to, to help those people who are incredibly talented who have just, you know, for whatever reason, have stopped trying to push things out there in spite of the fact they continue to write. It'd be awesome if we were to actually make money on this at some point. Yeah, that would but, be great. But, but, you know, the expectation is that we're going to print a few books and, and, you know, make some people happy and uh, add to the community. And hopefully give them so, something mm-hmm. else that they can shop mm-hmm. around, too. <clears throat> yeah. You think if you're a, a Joplin resident, there is something more meaningful about reading a book from a, a Joplinite? Or, you know, just expand that out, I guess, a little bit beyond just Joplin, but regionally? I, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I maybe maybe not as much in Muddle, there, but though there's probably a few poems in there that that have some like local reference oh yeah Yeah, there definitely is it's sort of like uh like politics they say all politics is local right like all poetry is local because you're writing about what you're experiencing yeah so you know a lot of that locality is translatable to other localities but yeah and for people out there who haven't read your book though there's uh the poems are sort of roughly um you know it's not exactly like Richard writes a poem, then Drew writes a poem, and not quite that trade-off, but there's a definite delineation in the styles. Uh, nonetheless, despite the fact that, you know, Richard is more formal and has his, you know, particular uh, characteristics, and Drew has his particular characteristics, there's a lot of overlap, I think, in the uh, the subject matter and the kind of atmosphere, and it just feels like it comes out of the same world two different minds obviously but it has the the stamp of life here on it you put your finger on why we did the thing i mean that's that's exactly why we did it because it's like you know even the title muddled you when you mix a drink and you muddle two elements together you're taking two unlike things and making them one and that's kind of what we had in mind is they're unlike things, but in a way, they're related, and so we are making them one with the book. If you guys were a mixed drink, what would you be? <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, because, <laughs> you know, we're both, we're both very much like beer guys, I think. Um, uh, it's true. In the original title of the book, and thank you, Ryan, for reminding us and pointing it out to us, the original title for the book was going to be Black and Tan. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's what Guinness and then uh, a pale ale bass or, or some, yeah. Yeah, some ale on top. And we were originally going to call it that. And I think at that point we were thinking we were going to just have like do like a half and half book because that's what a black and tan looks like. And then Ryan reminded us of um, the connotations of black and tan. Uh, well, it's, it was a force. Wasn't it Churchill who sent? The Black and Tans to Ireland. I believe it, it has to do with the Irish Catholic versus Irish Protestant divide. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so you guys weren't necessarily willing to what? stick your toes into that. Yeah, yeah. we didn't really yeah. want to do that. And so but then we moved We moved to modeled. Uh, I think ultimately it's a better 
It's yeah, and it was better. Yeah. Better strategy anyway. And it came out better anyway because you know then we went with with the mixing of it, the sort of the uneven mixing where it's not again like you said, it's not like a one for one poem. Like there's sections where but it gave us the liberty. I have a couple poems and Drew has a section where he has like two or three poems. But it gives us it gave us the liberty to put thematically similar things next to one another. Yeah. Instead of trying to. Uh, you know, separate arbitrarily based on who wrote it. And Did you write much content for the book? Or was it more like, I want to go through the stuff that I've written and uh, find what works? I didn't write anything for it. Yeah, no, we didn't write anything for it. Like, we had things that we wrote while we were working on the book that yeah. eventually made it in. Actually, the poem were... that I wrote was one that was a last minute Yeah, edition. put it in at the very, put it in, put it in towards okay. the end. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, uh, this is particularly uh, apropos, I guess, for uh, for this book. But when you're when you're reading a poem written by someone else, uh, is there anything you can learn from that poem about that person that you couldn't learn from a night of drinking with them at the bar? That's such an excellent question. Yeah, I don't know. It's. It's rough because also like, you can be a good writer and be a terrible person. I um, I mean my gut my gut wants to say like my gut wants to say no because a night of drinking at the bar you could learn whatever you want to learn because you know it's a truth serum right no. <laughs> yeah okay but you have to be asking the right questions whereas if you're reading a poem or maybe it would take more than one poem maybe it would take a volume of poetry. But by the end of that, all of the right questions should have been asked, or at least some measure of the right questions mm -hmm. that you wouldn't even have thought to ask. But they ask themselves because, you know, that's what we do as a species is we question our existence and our nature and, you know, our actions. So, and as poets especially, because that's, otherwise, why would we have to write? You know, if there was no questioning that was happening, then we wouldn't have to write anything. So poetry is a truth serum. No, the booze are the truth serum. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe poetry is also. <laughs> With enough of it. At a high enough dosage, yeah. volumes worth, poetry becomes a truth serum. <laughs> okay, so are you seeking submissions? We don't really seek submissions. Um, you know... We, we tend to solicit things from people that we've, um, at least we're at a point where we mostly have just been soliciting things. That said, you know, we do, you can contact us via our website. We do have um, an email that you can email us. Uh, I think it's just info at pubhoundpress.com. Yep. And if you want to send us your work, you know, we're happy to take a look. I said, I will also admit I'm really bad about actually responding to things at times. It doesn't mean that I don't like your work. It just means that I'm really bad at responding to shit. Well, um, I, I'd echo what Richard said. Uh, he is bad at responding. That's <laughs> 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 true. <laughs> but we, we do have that address. And I would add that we, we, don't, re we don't really have a next project. We're not really yeah. set on a next project. I mean, we have a couple of things in mind, but uh, nothing is 
nothing is contracted. So, point, you know, if so. you send some, want to send something to us, we'll read it. Just don't be upset if we don't respond or if we respond saying this doesn't work for us. Yeah. Um, because they're, you know, we don't necessarily have a good definition of what we're looking for, but it's kind of like pornography, you know, you know it when you see it. Um, and if you, <laughs> even though we don't look for, even though we don't solicit submissions, if you send us something that blows our hair back, you know. Absolutely. We'll, yep. we'll run through a wall for you very slowly. <laughs> we will walk through a wall for you <laughs> with the hammer. <laughs> well, I'll just uh, wrap up my little part here uh, by saying something that um, these two gentlemen are, are too modest to say. Uh, your book is phenomenal. I think uh, everyone should read it. I mean, it's certainly everyone everyone who cares about uh, literature and Joplin uh, should check this book out. Thank that you, is, Cody. It's very kind. Thank you. You should really read Cody's book. Absolutely. Probably more than ours. Yeah. I mean, you should read both. You should buy both. Go ahead and buy, go maybe ahead maybe and buy them both. Buy, buy one of bears and buy two of mine. Shit. I mean, $20 bill, you can get them both. Yeah, that's true. Hey. Yeah. So, you know, just go ahead and do that. All right. Pubhoundpress.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Modest Tops, our sponsor for tonight. Modesttops.com. We're going to take a break. Be back in a minute. Welcome back to the Pub Hound Podcast. I'm Drew with Cody. <laughs> hey, Cody. And Rich. Hi. You came second this time. I did. <laughs> All right, we're going to do our last call. We're almost finished. This is the last call. Um, who wants to go first? Rich, um, you got peanuts in your mouth. Cody, do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, so the idea here is I just say something. Yeah, you talk about something that's, that's been on your mind, that you've been thinking about, that you want to share. Maybe you want to make a recommendation. Okay. Um, okay, I got something. This is actually another book, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I recently, speaking of audiobooks, well, somewhat recently, listened to um, The Disaster Artist. Uh hmm. Okay, which has since become a film, uh, yeah. with uh, yeah. oh, what's that? What's that feller's name? James uh, Franco. Yeah, yeah, James Franco. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film was was good. I, I enjoyed it, but nothing compared to the audiobook. The okay, so I'll set the stage a little bit. Right, anyone who hasn't seen the film, The Room, <laughs> should really check out the film, The Room, if you're into like. So bad, it's good kind of stuff. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. You, okay, you should definitely check it out. And also, if anyone from the Bookhouse Cinema here in Joplin, our uh, local uh, and wonderful independent film theater here, mm-hmm. uh, they should definitely do a showing of The Room because uh, it's become something a little along the lines of Rocky Horror Picture Show where it's like kind of an event to watch really? The Room in a group. Yeah. I would come see it because I haven't seen it yet. And yeah. It, it was a big deal, right? It won, it won a... Did it win an Academy Award? Or? No, no, no. It it's was like, nominated for something, wasn't it? Nominated for Worst Film of All Time. Wait, The Room. The Room. With Brie yeah. Larson? Wasn't it Brie Larson? No, no, no that's different. No, that's no, 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 Room, no, no. I think, or something like oh. that. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm totally, I'm totally the, off base there. The, the Room is, is frequently said to be the, uh, the greatest, and I definitely agree with this, the greatest bad film of all time, the greatest worst film of all time. Okay. Like, people used to say Plan 9 from Outer Space. 
But this thing is so far beyond Plan 9 from Outer Space. Have you ever seen that? No, I have not. Okay. Um, <laughs> so could we do it? Could we do like We're going to have to have an educated Drew evening. Could we just like put all of our filth into him? Could we do like a, an MST kind of like podcast recording where we're watching it and... With oh yeah, I'm down for that. I mean, we... December... You know, fast approach it. <laughs> I am down for that. Well, the, so the thing about uh, The Room is, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's um, it's the brainchild of this one guy, Tommy Wiseau. And what's so magnificent about it is a lot of these best worst movies are like cheesy sci-fi films and they're, you know, the special effects are so bad and everything. This is not that. It's meant to be like an intensely personal, like he wants it to be a great drama. Uh, but it just totally, I mean, most people would say falls on its face in utterly hilarious ways. I actually kind of think it's an amazing film in a way. Uh, amazing? <laughs> it is kind of amazing. Uh, this I is mean, the point in the is, podcast where I, I need to point out Cody adores the rapture. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Uh, <laughs> I, that's a great movie, too. <laughs> I, I actually agree. The Rapture is a great movie. It's wonderful. Uh, I mean, I think, like, The Rapture actually has, like, was made by someone who knows who knows film. And that's and an Tommy amazing... does not. Tommy does not know film. Uh, but it's, it's a wonderful... So the book, uh, The Disaster Artist, was written by this guy, Greg Sestero, who is his friend and also co-star in this film. You know, Tommy Wiseau directed, produced, wrote, and starred in The Room. Uh, and he brought along his friend, Greg Sestero, who wrote this book about the experience of meeting Tommy and writing it. The book, I would actually suggest the audiobook because it's read by Greg and it's his story. And it is like the funniest and also the saddest book I've ever read. I mean, it, okay. it truly is an emotional experience reading this book. The movie, it kind of just what brought it to my mind because I watched it recently. Um, but the movie's good, but don't think that you know the experience because you've, you've seen the movie. It's well worth checking out. Wow. Okay. The, the room, not room. Correct. Yeah, the room. The room. The room. No one knows why it's called like that. The like the Ohio there's, State. There's, the room. <laughs> Not Ohio State. Oh, fuck Ohio State. But The Room. The Ohio State, yeah. Okay. You will watch the movie, still not know why it's called The Room. I feel like there's a lot of things about the movie that I might have questions about. <laughs> regardless of the title. Well, I can, I can do mine next. Sure. My last call is about the International Space Station. So... This didn't this didn't come up in our discussion earlier though I, I I half expected that it might depending on the questions asked but one of the things that inspires me the most about to write is is uh, stargazing like yeah just looking at the stars and and their immensity and the the time and space that's around that and are our finite qualities as humans looking at them. Uh, so, and and if you if you read the book, you'll you'll see that there, are, in my poems at least, there are a handful of references, and there are more references in <laughs> the other poems that didn't make it Definitely. in. Definitely. Um, 
But so not too long ago, um, my girlfriend discovered this thing by NASA called Spot the Station, where they tell you the time and place and the direction that you can look in the sky to view the International Space Station. And it's a super cool thing because you can look up at the night sky and see this moving object. And it's, it's one of the brighter objects in the sky next to the moon. Like the brightness of it is probably is like a planet. Like if you see Mars or Saturn on any given night, it's going to be as bright as that, uh, the International Space Station. And I think you can actually get like email or text message alerts. I don't because she does and then she tells me about it. And then we go outside and watch together and put little alarms on our phones for it. But um, uh, spotthestation.nasa.gov, that's the website. And uh, it, it'll give you the time, the direction to look, and the duration. And it's, it's, it's really awesome. And it'll give you this kind of eternal uh, transcendent feeling of smallness I think to look up at the night sky and watch it and and what's really cool about it is it doesn't have any lights on the actual space station apparently because it it reflects the light of the sun so you can only see it at certain points usually pretty early in the in the darkness or late in the darkness because it's reflecting the light of the sun so it will blink out at a certain point because it will get beyond the horizon where the sunlight will reach it. So it's a solid light, like a, like, again, like a planet, not like a, sun, like, like a star where it's twinkling. It's a solid light, and then it will just kind of fade out as it falls beyond the horizon. And uh, it's, it's just really cool. Have so. you ever seen an iridium flare? Do you know what that is? Is that off the sun itself? Well, it's a it's a reflection. Now, I shouldn't even brought up because I don't know too much about the technical side of it. But um, I did see one of them one time. It's apparently certain satellites, when they're in orbit, they will like change position, and this will cause a uh, like reflection. They're reflecting the light of the sun. Of course, you see this at night. And it's you know the sun's at a different you know angle, so they can reflect it down. But like. Uh, it will look like this really sudden bright burst of light in the sky. And I, the first time I ever saw one, the only time I ever saw one, I was at a Prairie State Park, which is this really you know dark sky area. Yeah. And I was like, what did I just see? Did I see like a supernova or something? Because it was just this like explosion of light in the sky. And I looked it up and it was an iridium flare. And the reason I uh, bring this up is it's timely because now I don't know why, but I saw a headline something the other day like, there will be no more iridium flares. I have no clue why that's going to be, but maybe they're retiring some kind of satellite or something like this. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. So look it up and go check out the next one because you're never going to have a chance to see it again. Well, I'd, I'd love to, to know that because, I, often, I, I mean, I love to just go outside and look about the sky and, you know, occasionally I catch uh, shooting stars or whatever and it's just like... I wonder if anybody else saw this thing, and you know, so they, I found the websites. Like, there's a there's websites where you can track those things, like the sightings, and that's part of how uh, space agencies like NASA will will figure out what's actually going on. Is they just have I you know eyewitness accounts of 
we saw this, uh, you know, shooting star. It was in this direction. It lasted for this long, and so yeah, it's. I I just think it's really cool to to look to to feel the smallness of the night sky, to feel the personal smallness and the the greatness of the night sky. Rich. Yeah, um, I guess I'd like to plug a couple books. Plug um, away, my friend. Yeah, one of them is uh, A.E. Stallings has a new book coming out. I think it comes out this Tuesday um, by Ferrer, Farrer, Ferrer. I don't know. They're big enough. They don't care if I mispronounce their name. Ferrer, Strauss, and Giroux. Um, it, the book is called Like, and A.E. Stallings is an excellent poet. She's a classicist, and her own poetry, um, you know, runs runs deep in that tradition. Um, she's excellent. Uh, and then the second book I would like to plug has already come out. Uh, it is Erica Dawson's "When Rap Spoke Straight to God." It is published by Ten House Press. Cool title. You sh- yeah, it's a fucking cool book. Um, no, seriously, uh, this book is fucking fantastic. I got it on Tuesday, the day it was released. I have read it three times since. And Wait, uh, last Tuesday? Yes, this past Tuesday. <laughs> and I've read it three times since. It is a book-length poem, and it's amazing. I promised a co-worker and a friend of mine, a friend of Bub Hound, uh, Jill Sullivan, the, uh, the um, director of Post Art Library, I had promised her that I would lend her the book when I was done with it, and she's gonna have to wait probably at least a year because this is not leaving my satchel. This You're will be read on it me. another three or four times. I as probably as many times as it takes me. It's <laughs> it's great. Uh, as it takes you to what? Just, devoted to memory? I think so. Yeah. No. Okay. Cool. I mean, granted, I was already <laughs> a big fan of Erica Dawson. Her second collection, uh, "The Small Blades Hurt," uh, published by Meser Press was one of those books that like caused sort of a crisis in me you know i read it and i thought fuck i'm never writing again i can't do this i can't do what this woman does it's this is amazing work um and then you know i walked myself off the ledge and it's like you're a different person and yeah you're not gonna do that but you can still like do your own thing blah 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 blah, blah yada yada uh it is published by Ten house press you should order it through them because we should always support our small presses and you can find them here, at here. www.tinhouse.com you don't really need to say the www i don't care i'd fucking do it anyway <laughs> bounce this off your forehead <laughs> i think you hit the bill on my cap but it doesn't matter because we're done with this episode so cheers thank you, gentlemen cheers cheers podcast was produced and edited by Pubhound Press with music by Dan O'Connor and sounds from Creative Commons. Complete credits can be found on our website, pubhoundpress.com.